We are continuing our series this morning called A Thrill of Hope as we remember the hope that Jesus came to bring 2,000 years ago. This hope that we speak about at Christmas time is not simply a hope that a baby was born 2,000 years ago that had influence and significance in this world, but this baby is now... This baby grew up and it transforms lives today because this baby Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now on Friday and Saturday this week, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, there's going to be many of you who will be doing a whole heap of different things. You'll be eating lots of food, you'll be singing carols, you will be uh, sharing with family, uh, presents will be given and those great Christmas movies that you can only watch once a year, you'll be watching them over, over this weekend. It's a, a real time of joy um, Yes, because we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also for many of you, these are times during your year when your families are able to come together and, uh, and spend time, a really great quality time together. But in saying that, I'm also aware that Christmas for many people is actually a time of real difficulty and hardship for many different reasons. It can be difficult for, for some people because they are grieving the loss of someone who they loved and it's their first Christmas without that person. You might be dealing with relationship tension and be desiring that someone from your family would, would uh, be there with you at Christmas, but maybe they're not able to. You might be going through health struggles yourself or you might have someone close to you who is going through significant health struggles. For many people, although we speak about Christmas as a time of hope and we sing beautiful songs that have such wonderful truths, for many people, Christmas doesn't feel hope-filled. Even if Christmas does feel joyful because you get to have your family around you and you get to eat great food, Ultimately, in one week, on Boxing Day, everything goes pretty much back to normal. We continue on with our lives and, uh, and often we may stop thinking about the hope that Jesus came to bring. And yet, the hope that Jesus came to bring and that we celebrate at Christmas in particular, it doesn't deteriorate or fade because the 25th of December has come and gone. It continues and goes on and on and on. And often we think about this hope that Jesus came to bring as simply a hope that begins when, uh, when we, we enter into eternity, which is true. The hope of eternity with Jesus is the greatest hope that a Christian can have. But we miss out on true life now if we simply think that the hope that Jesus offers us is when we die, everything will be perfect. But while I'm alive, I simply need to endure going through this life. That's an incomplete understanding of the fullness of hope that Jesus offers us. And today, I want to speak to you about how you are able to find hope in life right now, 
even if you are going through pain or brokenness or suffering or hardship or disappointment in your life. Just a disclaimer before we get into our message this morning. Today is going to be probably a, uh, a bit heavier than you're probably used to on the Sunday before Christmas. So um, just pre- please be aware that today's message might be a bit heavy for, uh, for some of you. Um, and there might be some themes that we address in our message this morning that might stir up some emotions for some of you. So I just want to let you know about that. And as we have kids in our service uh, this morning, um, parents, feel free to make use of our creche if you feel like it's necessary at any time through, uh, through our service. The service will be streamed into there as well, so please be aware of that. It may not feel very Christmassy, some of our message uh, this morning, but I assure you this is some of the hope that Jesus came to bring us when he came 2,000 years ago. And we will have our Christmas services on uh, on this Friday and Saturday, so you will get your, your Christmas fix at that time. Today, I want to look at a passage that is likely familiar to many of you, and has been hailed by theologians as possibly the greatest chapter of all of the Bible, Now, that might sound like a strange thing to say. Uh, This passage is in no way any more God-breathed than anywhere else in Scripture. But what people mean when they say things like it's the greatest passage, the greatest chapter of the Bible, is they mean that if you were going to be left on an island with a couple of pages of the Bible and nothing else, this is one of the sections of Scripture that you would want to be able to have if you, were, uh, if you had nothing else. And I am speaking about Romans 8, a wonderful, wonderful uh, passage of Scripture. And we'll be reading from verses 18 to 39, but focusing on just one verse today. So if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to open up to uh, uh, Romans 8, verses 18 to 39. Um, And particularly for our time this morning, I really encourage you, if you have an electronic version or a hard copy version, to keep it open in front of you as we're going to be uh, referring back to uh, lots of different parts of this throughout our time together. So let me me read uh, Romans 8, 18 to 39. It'll be up there on the screen too. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage that we have just read from verses 18 to 39 is immensely dense with profound meaning and it would take us months if we were going to look at this in great detail but there is just one verse I want us to focus on this morning that should bring a incomparable amount of hope to every single believer and that hope comes in verse 28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this verse is plastered all over the place. We see this on coffee mugs and magnets and phone wallpapers and posters. We see this all over the place. And often we can quote this verse in quite a, a light-hearted way. Yeah, God works for the good of those who, who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Yeah, I, I believe that, but this is so much more of a transformative truth than just simply words that you might stick onto a magnet on the fridge. Now, um, now to gain everything that we can out of just that one verse out of verse 28, it's important that we address everything else around it, which is part of the reason why I read out everything that we did um, from verse 18. The reason I begun reading from verse 18 is because that speaks into the group of people that this was originally written to. It's speaking about present sufferings. And that helps set up the rest of what we read, because we understand that this verse, verse 28, was written to people who were suffering and going through immense pain and hardship in their life. 
And this is super important for us to remember. The people of the New Testament early church were being really badly persecuted for their faith. They would have their money taken from them, their houses burned down, they would be killed themselves, or their whole families would be killed solely for the reason that they were followers of Jesus. This would happen regularly to believers in the New Testament church, and that's the context that a passage like this is written into. That's who is Paul is, uh, is expressing this to. The level of persecution that they would endure is, realistically, it is far greater than what we experience here in the Western church. He goes on for, uh, later on and expresses that it's not just humanity that is enduring hardship, but all of creation is enduring hardship and is not how it should be right now. So Paul goes on uh, further on and explains in verses 24 to 25 that there is the greatest hope awaiting us, the hope of the way that he phrases it, the unseen, that there is an unseen hope that awaits every single believer, that creation will be made right, that this hardship and this persecution that you're going through right now, it won't be forever, but there will be a time when you will come and meet Jesus face to face, this unseen gift, uh, this unseen hope of eternity. One thing that we have to understand right here off the bat when we see these first few verses is we see that Paul is addressing the sufferings of the early church. And unfortunately, sometimes when we think about the Christian faith, or sometimes the way the Christian faith has been portrayed to people, has been come to Jesus and then life will get, in a worldly sense, better. Life will become easier. Jesus never promises that. He never promises an ease of life for anyone who is a believer. In fact, if we see anything throughout the Gospels and Jesus' ministry, He probably promises quite the opposite. He tells people, take up your cross and follow Me. And He says that same command to us here today, take up your cross to follow Jesus. And for many people in the New Testament church, that wasn't a figurative phrase, that was literal. They had to take up their cross to follow Jesus. But every part of Paul's reassurance here is that although you need to do that for this lifetime, there is the eternal unseen hope that you have to look forward to in, uh, in the future. But then Paul goes one step further. And he begins to speak of not just the future hope, but the hope that we are able to have in our lives right now. He goes on and says that we're told that we have the Spirit now living within us, interceding for us. And then he drops this bombshell of a verse in uh, in verse 28. After speaking about sufferings and hardship, then for some reason he does this, uh, he drops this, this verse where he says, And based on all of that, after seeing these sufferings, we know 
that in all things, in every single thing that we go through in life, God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Now, I am going to come back to this in just a minute, but I just want to finish um, where we, talking about where we read. Following this, um, Paul goes on to explain with pinpoint clarity who he is talking about when he is mentioning this verse. He is not saying that this verse applies to everyone in the world, but who does it apply to? Those who have been called, those who have been saved, those who love God, Christians. So if you are a follower of Christ here this morning or joining with us online, this verse applies to you. And he goes one step further so that there's no confusion and speaks about how God saves people. And he does so um, by uh, speaking into the doctrine of salvation. It's an area of theology called soteriology. Um, and he speaks about how people uh, are saved. Um, and he speaks about how uh, salvation has been achieved in the life of the, of the believer. Following that... He goes on and explains the outworking of what it looks like that God works all things for the good of those who love Him. And he does this mainly from verse 31, because he, um, uh, he presents it in a way that is a response. So if we have hardship and suffering and difficulty coming against us in our life, then there is an answer that we have to be able to say when these things come against us in our life. Because what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul's point here is that because, G, uh, because God sent Jesus, his son, here into the world, that is evidence of God working good in all things. It is evidence of God's immeasurable, incomparable goodness and love for the world because Jesus came here uh, into the world to save us. It's amazing truth. In all things... God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. But if I'm honest, life doesn't feel that way a lot of the time. I don't know if you feel the same way, but there's a lot of times when I am going through things and I don't feel like this is good. How is what I'm going through right now in my life a good thing? thing? How does the persecution of the church in Afghanistan, how is God working good in that circumstance? In your life, what you're going through right now, how is God working good? In someone you know's life, how is God working good? We don't necessarily feel this way, how we see things all of the time. When I was... Um, doing youth ministry a, a, a few years ago, um, we, we heard um, one night that, uh, that a boy who is a part of our, our youth group 
Um, this boy had a great personality, but he had a, a little bit too much, too much energy. Um, that this boy who had recently gotten his license, he had been speeding and ran his car off the road, hit a tree, and he died instantly. The next day, many people from the church went to the family's house, and I was able to pray with the, with the parents of this boy. In moments like that, there could have been nothing worse than for me to just recite a verse like this to them. And can I encourage you, if you are dealing with anyone who is grieving in any way, don't recite this verse as like a trite statement to them, please. I prayed with them, but I didn't know necessarily, what do I say to people in this circumstance who are going through this kind of pain and hardship of losing their son? What do you do in that, in that moment? It had happened only about 12, 12 hours earlier, and yet, I, uh, yeah, we needed to, to pray with them. So what do you do in, in a circumstance like that, managing the fact that this situation has happened, and yet in God's Word, this is still true? There is not just some deeper meaning to this passage, we can actually take this on face value. This is just plain, simple truth that we see in God's Word. It is clear. Somehow, even in that situation, no matter how dark or painful it was, in some way, God was still working good in that situation. God's goodness didn't, didn't stop. So, how do we handle things like like that. The real praise point out of that situation is due to the deep faith of the parents and the people who were dealing primarily with this, they were able to say, yes, that is true for them even in that moment. But to allow this truth to sink deeply into your heart, you have to approach this truth not based primarily about what you see happening in your world. You can't approach things simply on a physical, intellectual, pragmatic level. There are deeper truths and deeper ways that God is at work that we don't understand all of the time. And there are two truths about God's character that I see revealed just in that one verse that we need to allow to sink deeply into our hearts, and these two truths are that God is infinitely sovereign, and God, at the same time, is infinitely good. Both of these things, that God is working, He is in control, He is not some far away, dormant God away from us, but He is working, He is sovereign, and He is also infinitely good and works good into people's people's lives. God is in control. There is nothing that takes God by surprise, and He is at work. He sent Jesus to die. This is what The point of what Paul is saying here, the evidence of God's goodness is that Jesus came 
2,000 years ago. Christmas is evidence of the goodness of God. As I said before, this is not actually a very complex truth, but it is a clear and deep truth that should transform how we view every single thing that happens in our lives, because we don't suddenly address everything that happens from just the physical level, but there are deeper truths at work and in, uh, in how God is, is working. Although that's true, although that God is infinitely sovereign and ultimately, uh, and infinitely good, I find sometimes in, in our culture today, we don't necessarily allow this truth to sink deep into our hearts in the way I probably see happens in other places around the world. And I think there's a couple of reasons that we can fall into the trap of not allowing this to sink into our hearts. And the first reason is that we have a desire, often in our culture, to make, uh, to look like everything is going well and everything is great in our life. Things aren't always easy. (laughs) Things aren't always easy for many of you. And when we try and make things look great on the outside, then we can, this can stop us from embracing how God could be working even through difficulties. So that's the first reason I think that can stop us from allowing this to, um, to impact deep in our hearts. But the second reason is that for many of us, not all of us, can I just make that very clear? There's many of you who I'm sure this is not true for, but for many of us, hardship is not normative. And so when hardship comes to our life, it suddenly shocks us and we are taken aback and we think, how could this possibly happen to me? How could God possibly be working in this? Now, I'm I'm perfectly aware that's not everyone here this morning. There are a lot of people who go through regular hardship uh, in their life. If hardship is not your normal, it's important to let this truth sink into your heart before you go through hardship. Don't wait until difficulty comes. And I'm sure all of us can agree that life's not always easy, that we will go through hardship in our life. And there's a couple of things that I think we can do to stop these cultural barriers um, from, uh, we can stop these cultural barriers from helping, uh, that will help us stop stop these cultural barriers from grabbing a hold of, uh, of this truth. And the first thing that I think we can do is that we can look to Scripture, in particular the lives of the disciples. What we see regularly through the lives of the disciples is that they rejoiced in hardship. They found joy in suffering. And we can see the evidence of a verse like this lived out in the lives of the disciples. So that's the first thing I think that we can do. The second thing I think that we can do is to learn from our brothers and sisters here in the church. There are some of you here today who I, um, who I don't want to make eye contact with because I'll get sad. <laughs> but there's some of you here today who I'm aware you go through very difficult 
uh, valleys in your life and you have proclaimed this verse and you have understood this verse deep ways in your hearts. And we can learn from one another. We can learn from one another seeing how other people have allowed this to go deep into their heart, even through hardship. And this morning, I just want to share a a time, uh, to finish our time together, I just want to share a time with you in my own life where this has, uh, this verse has become uh, really, really, really transformative in in my life. Um, About uh, about six years ago, I was... um, uh, actually, I'll, I'll take you even further back. When I, um, when I first became a, a Christian, the first thing that really changed in my life was probably my opinion of Scripture. Uh, and I, uh, I came to um, particularly the New Testament and I read through it and a theme that I saw that came up regularly was this theme that we're speaking about this morning, was people rejoicing in sufferings. And I was able to craft a theoretical knowledge of verses like this and think, isn't that a great truth that we can, uh, that we can celebrate? Um, but that was only theoretical. I hadn't gone through any deep valleys or, or anything like that in my life. Um, but that was important. It was important for me to go through that journey of, of understanding this, this thought uh, in, uh, in my mind. But it didn't deeply impact my heart until a few years later. Uh, a few years later, oh, we had been going through, uh, I'd been in a, a, a work situation and we had been through some constant, significant conflict for uh, quite a few years. It was just a very, very difficult situation that we, were, um, that we found ourselves in. Um, and this began, began to take a, a bit of a toll on on me mentally, and uh, and there was a mentor that I had who said to me, Dave, I think you need to to go and and speak to someone about this. So anyway, I I toddled off to the to the doctor and started talking about some of the things that had been going on in my in my mind and emotions. Uh, and uh, about six years ago, through a conversa- that conversation and through a couple of others, I was. Uh, I was diagnosed with, uh, with depression. Um, it was something I wasn't expecting to happen, and, uh, and it is actually something that is probably far more common in, even in our church than you might be, might be aware of. Um, now, praise God, I was able to have counselling and find healing out of that. Um, but while I was in going through that valley in my life, this was able to turn from being theoretical head knowledge, yes, God is sovereign, God is good, etc., etc., to then becoming deeply felt in my heart. And although my circumstance and situation didn't change, although what was going on in my mind didn't necessarily change, I was able to find an intimacy, a joy, an affection for God that I had never experienced before. Because I knew that somehow, even in that, 
that God was working for my good, even through that, through that valley. And I just want to um, share that as a way to possibly encourage some of you. I'm perfectly aware that there are many of you here today who are going through far deeper, darker valleys than I was six years ago. I'm perfectly aware of that. However, that truth is as applicable for you as it was for me. Allow it to sink deeply into your hearts that no matter what we go through, the hope that Jesus gives us in this world is that he works all things for the good of those who love Jesus. There might be some other things that you're going through. Your valley might not be um, something to do with mental health. There might be other things that you're going through. You might be dealing with sickness or loss of a loved one, a relationship struggle, or sin simply feeling overwhelming in, in your life. And I just want to allow those words to just sit there right now and just um, sink into your heart. I'd love to give you the opportunity after our service, if you, um, if you are going through something in your life and you're thinking, um, I can't see the good that God is doing here, I'd love to pray for you. And um, I'm going to ask Dave Ang, I haven't told him this yet, but Dave, if you can be with me up the front and pray with people, that would be, that would be appreciated. Um, so if you want to come and receive prayer, I invite you to come and do that after our service, or if you would like to pray with someone else who is, uh, who is close to you, please feel free to do that as well. But I think it's important um, that we spend these next few minutes worshipping God and allowing the truths of the words that we're going to be singing to wash over our lives. So can we just stand together? Uh, just And team, if you could come up now and we'll... Uh, We'll worship in in just a moment. Yeah, Lord, I, in particular this morning, I want to pray for those people who, um, who are here and they're not feeling hope filled about the Christmas season. For whatever reason that might be. And I ask that the hope of this verse might break into their life. That the understanding that you are a God that works all things for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose is as true for us here today as it was for the early church 2,000 years ago. God, I do pray that this truth that we see in your word won't just be um, head knowledge in any way but it will be something that sinks deep into our hearts. That we will be reassured of the eternal hope that we have, that one day everything will be made right. But we also know that there is hope for this world that you 
even now are working sovereign good into our lives. thank you that this is not a a passage of defeat but a passage of victory where when we understand the immensity of your sovereignty and your goodness that we are able to move from living a defeated life into the victorious life not because of anything that we have done but solely because of what, what Christ has done So reveal your truth to us once again in Jesus' name. Amen.